Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. Thrilled to be with someone who's done everything you could imagine in this industry, television and radio star Wink Martindale is our very special guest. Hey, Wink, how are you? I'm fine, Frank. Thank you. It's a delight to be with you. Well, listen, thrilled to be with you. I mean, I think so many people know you from your hosting of game shows, but there's so much more to that and the production end of that. And You did a partnership with Merv Griffin, too, at one point. Was that long-lasting? Uh, it's a show that I sold to Merv Griffin in 1985. First time he'd ever bought a show outside his own company. It was called Headline Chasers. Unfortunately, it was... Uh, Kind of like Jeopardy, it was kind of hard to play, and it never found its audience. So it only lasted a year, but it bought my home for me. Okay. <laughs> so it's hard to say. It was, it, a good show. It, was it was filling in headlines of the past and present, and uh, it was really a good show. And one I'd like to bring back one of these days when the time is right. Yeah, well, it sounds interesting, but so is your career. If you don't mind, maybe we can do a little bit of a history lesson. I know Tennessee. Was it Jackson, Tennessee? Is that where it all started for you? That's correct. If you don't mind, you were born there, you were raised there. When was the first time you got the bug? And when I say bug, I mean, I guess could be anything. I know you started in radio pretty young, but what about early on? Any hints that you were heading towards Hollywood or heading towards the stage or Mike or whatever? No, not uh, any hint of all of that, but uh, it was always my great desire from the time I knew what a microphone was and the fact that you could talk into one and your voice could come out on the other end of a radio speaker. I was fascinated by that, I guess, from the time I was seven or eight years old. I always wanted to be, quote-unquote, on the radio. And, of course, that led to television later. But um, when I was 17 years old, my uh, Sunday school teacher happened to be the manager of a little 250-watt radio station in Jackson, Tennessee. And I bugged him to death. Finally, he gave me an audition. And um, I uh, had been practicing for this audition for a long time. He didn't uh, realize that, but my dad never made much money. He was a lumber inspector, uh, and every Christmas he got a part of his bonus was a $100 check and a year's subscription to Life magazine. So I grew up reading Life magazine, the pictorial, mm. and I would, uh, I would tear out the advertisement pages from Life magazine and go into the back bedroom of our little two-bedroom house in Jackson and I'd sit there and pretend I was on the radio, and I would ad-lib commercials around these advertisement pages. So when Chick Wingate, the manager of the station, uh, handed me a piece of copy and some news to read, I knocked it out like Grant going through Richmond. <laughs> and uh, he was impressed. He said, look, you come back here tomorrow, and the mayor who owned the radio station will be here, and we'll do this again, and if he likes what he hears, we'll hire you. So after school, I was 17 years old. After school, I came down there again, did the same thing. Uh, the mayor was knocked out. He hired me for 25 bucks a week, and that was my beginning in radio. I mean, 25 bucks a week's a lot of money back then for a 17-year-old, for sure. I guess for yeah. For now a lot this, of this week, I'm up to 45. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Let me tell you, I mean, that's a wonderful story. And if you think about what your dad got by getting that subscription to Life Magazine, you educated yourself, you home educated yourself basically with that subscription. That's correct. Well, let me remind folks that are just tuning in a little late or just turning on their radios. Frank McKay here. Much more importantly, Wink Martindale is our very special guest. And, you know, one of the things I came across in just kind of reading about you was that you had a million selling spoken word record in 1959, a million selling record for a DJ and for a radio personality. Was that commonplace to have such a big seller for spoken word at that point? No, I think the only other DJ to that point that ever had a million-selling record was around 56 or 57 when Jim Woe, a DJ in New York, uh, recorded The Green Door. It was a huge million-seller for Dot Records. And as it happens, by happenstance, my record was also on Dot. And this is the way it happened, and I'll be brief. In 1959, when I was transferred by RKO to KHJ in Los Angeles, uh, I had met Randy Wood, who founded Dot Records. I had met him back in Memphis, and he heard me sing uh, on, a, on a local label in Memphis, and he asked me if I'd like to be on Dot, and I said, sure, are you kidding? It was a lot of, like an out-of-body experience. Yeah. So he said, okay, we'll sign you to Dot, and we won't be in a hurry to find something. We'll, when I find something that I think is right for you, I'll let you know. So one morning I get off the air. Now I'm in Los Angeles, 1959, summer of that year. And I get off the air one morning, and Randy Wood's secretary called said, come down to the office. He was right down the street in Hollywood on at Hollywood and Vine. And he said, come down here, and I want to play something for you. So I went down, and he played me an old 78 RPM recording of a, of a hit for T. Texas Tyler, a country singer, right after the war, 1946. It had been a big hit. And Randy remembered that recording. It was a spoken uh, narration, uh, semi-religious, about a soldier who used a deck of cards in church because he didn't have a Bible. Mm. And wow. uh, after he played it, he said, well, what do you think? And I wasn't too impressed, but I wasn't about to tell him that. And I said, Randy, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So in September, we went into a recording studio and we recorded this, this semi-religious narration. And... Uh, he put it out on Dot, and I thought, probably nothing's ever going to happen, because at the time, the number one record was Stagger Lee by Lloyd Price and Venus by Frankie Avalon and that kind of thing. And I thought, kids buy records. Who's going to buy a semi-religious talking <laughs> record? But sure enough, uh, by the end of November, it was in the top ten nationally. It had sold over a million records, and uh, – I got a call to come to New York and uh, perform it on the Ed Sullivan Show when Ed Sullivan was still the number one uh, variety show on Sunday nights that I had grown up watching. And again, it was like a an out-of-body experience. I went back there, did it, and of course after that it sold another half a million copies. And uh, that's the way it happened, and uh, I made several uh, records after that. Uh, some of them were semi-hits. Uh, but to have a million-selling record, I thought, wow, man. I came to L.A. in 1959, and I got my own morning show on KHJ. I had my television teenage dance party at Pacific Ocean Park in Santa Monica that summer. Big hit. And I make this record about a soldier using a deck of cards in church because he didn't have a Bible, and it turns out to be a hit. 
I thought to myself, I should have come to L.A. sooner. This is easy. Yeah. But I found out that making a million seller wasn't quite that easy after that. But I made a bunch of albums and, and a bunch of singles. But uh, I enjoyed some success, but uh, never uh, to the level of deck of cards. Well, let me ask you, and again, not to get specific or not to get nosy, but is it life-changing financially to sell a million records back then on Dot Records? And I know at that point, you know, probably everything was so favorable to the record companies and and so forth, but was it life-changing from a financial standpoint? Oh, no, no. You don't make a lot of money on uh, records. Uh, I, I think I made about $40,000 total for that million sellers. Wow. Where you, as, as any... As any record artist will tell you, whether you're Tony Bennett or Wink Martindale or whoever, uh, you make your money by doing personal appearances and concerts and tours, especially in this day and age. But of course, then uh, that wasn't my gig. I just I just made this record and made about forty grand, and that was it. So uh, it wasn't a life changing thing. But I'll tell you what: uh, the recording of Deck of Cards has followed me my entire career. Like today, you're asking me about it. Yeah, amazing. It's just an amazing story, and it's something, you know, again, that you wouldn't have picked to do yourself, and Dot Records obviously knew how to do the spoken word, you know, type records. That's amazing. You know, I want to go back to you being 17 years old, getting that first gig. The mayor liked you, and you're making, you know, whatever, 17 bucks a week doing that, and at that point, what do you think, and how were you approaching your career was it just like wow this is great i'm making a couple of bucks or are you planning out in your mind what the next step is can you go back to where you were and kind of think of what your vision was over the next five years or 10 years what were you planning out at 17 were you just thrilled to be working hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt causing anal itching and burning and irritation get fast relief with all natural doctor developed and tested anacool buy anacool a-n-a-c-o-o-l on amazon right now and save 15 percent with code wabc 2024 it's Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. Long Island Vibes. On 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Now here's your host, Frank McKay. Well, at the time, I was thrilled to be working. I was thrilled to be on the radio. Uh, but I quickly uh, moved from the little 250 water to, we had three stations. One was a 250 water, one was a 1,000 water, and one was a 5,000 water. So I moved from one to the other. And while I was in Jackson, uh, because I had played on the high school football team, I knew all the football players. I was asked to do play-by-play football and also play-by-play basketball. So Jackson was a real learning experience. But my dream was to work in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, that was 85 miles from Jackson. And we listened to a radio station there. The call letters were WHBQ. And I always wanted to, my dream was to do the morning show called Clock Watchers. And so after I was in Jackson for about a year and a half, almost two years, I made an audition and I sent it to the program director at WHBQ, truthfully thinking I probably would never hear from it. But sure enough, in two weeks, he asked me to come over for an interview. So my dad drove me over there. I did the interview. I got the job and I was man on clock watchers. So that was that was just another one of my dreams come true. And of course, WHBQ was also was one of the more famous radio stations in the country, really, because of Presley Mania starting there. Uh, in the summer of 1954, I happened to be there one night showing some of my football-playing buddies around the station. And the nighttime jock, uh, whose name was Dewey Phillips, 
did a show called Red Hot and Blue. He was playing black music for white kids in those days. Now, remember, it's 1954. Rock and roll really hasn't taken over yet. In the mornings on Squawk Watchers, I was playing Doris Day and Eddie Fisher and Patty Page and Perry Como, what I call vanilla music. At night, Dewey was playing all this, this new rhythm and blues, what was then called race music, black music for white kids. They were really getting into that. And by 1955, when Blackboard Jungle came out and Rock Around the Clock became a big hit, that's when uh, rock and roll really started. But it was on this particular night, July 1954, that uh, I happened to be at the station that evening showing some friends around, and I heard all this commotion coming from Dewey Phillips' Red Hot and Blue Studio. So I went in there, and it so happens that Sam Phillips, no no relation to Dewey, Sam Phillips, founder of Sun Records, had walked in with an acetate, a test pressing of a song by a uh, Crown Electric Company truck driver named Elvis Presley. It was called That's All Right Mama. And he wanted Dewey Phillips to test it on his show. If Dewey tested, he had 65% of the audience at night. And if he tested a record and it tested positive, it could be a hit overnight. He played it seven times in a row. And the listening audience just lit up the bones like a Christmas tree. They just wanted to hear That's All Right Mama by Elvis Presley over and over. So then the question was, who is this guy and where is he? And I was the one delegated to call uh, Vernon and Gladys, his mom and dad, to find out where he was. Because Dewey wanted him to come down to the radio station. (laughs) So I called and Gladys answered. And of course, they were listening. They knew the record was going to be played and tested. And they were all excited. And Gladys said that... uh, Elvis was so nervous about his record being played, he went to see a double feature at the Suzor's number two. And so uh, they got in their truck and they went over to the Suzor's theater and walked up and down the dark theater, found him sitting all by himself, whispered to him about the excitement being generated by his record. And uh, they went down to uh, the mezzanine floor of the Chisco Hotel on South Main in downtown Memphis. That's where we were located. He walked in. I met him that night. He became my friend and was my friend until the day he died. Of course, that was his first interview that evening with Dewey Phillips. And I'm the only living person who was in the studio that night. Everybody else has passed on. Wow. Uh, Wink Martindale is the voice that you're hearing. Just an amazing career, legendary career in radio and television, uh, television producer. And so many people probably don't know that story, I mean, I know bits and pieces of it, but wow, I didn't realize you were the one that was calling Vernon and Gladys. Frank McKay here, again with Wink Martindale. Just absolutely amazing. You know, go back to Dewey Phillips. Was he telling his audience that this is a white kid singing? Did he tell them that, or did he kind of just let it up to everybody's imagination? Did he announce, did he promote the fact that, hey, here's a white kid that sounds you know, African-American or sounds black. And did he preface any of that or did he just play it? No, no none of that even came up. Not at all. Uh, do, Elvis, when he grew up in Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, he loved all kinds of music. And his style, his singing style, was uh, sort of an amalgam of, uh, of country and uh, rhythm and blues and, and pop. It was a little bit of everything mixed into one. And uh, when, when his record was played that night, uh, a lot of people thought he was a black singer. And it wasn't until his picture came out in the paper in the commercial appeal in Memphis the following week that everybody realized, no, no, this is a, this is a young white singer. 
But the night that the record was being played, that was never discussed, even when he was being interviewed. What was your first impression, personal impression, of Elvis? And obviously, you had a lifelong friendship, so obviously, it you know it was you had a positive reaction, positive chemistry there. But what was the very first thing you thought of when you met Elvis? When he walked in the studio and I met him for the first time, I thought this is the most handsome guy I've ever seen in my life. He really and truly was a Greek Adonis. He had his features, well, as you know, you remember when he was at his height. There was nobody in the business that was better looking than Elvis Presley. So that's what I thought about. And uh, and and then, of course, I after I heard him interviewed and after I got to know him a little bit, and especially after he came on my television dance party show two years later as a, as a favor to me in 1956, um, I, I discovered that, and of course, by then, we knew he was the phenomenon that he became. Uh, he he just was uh, unlike anything I'd ever heard before. I I had never none of us had ever heard anything quite like uh, "That's All Right, Mama" by Elvis Presley. And I remember thinking, what a what a what an unusual name, Elvis. Yeah. And he came in with uh, uh, he had his uh, pink uh, uh, pants on. He had long sideburns, which was most unusual. In 1954, he had a pink shirt on. Those are the. Those, you ask me what I thought the first time I saw him. Those are my immediate thoughts. Again, Frank McKay here with Wink Martindale, and he has a career that is as good as any that you'll ever <laughs> come across in TV and radio. Still going strong. Just absolutely amazing career. Been hounding him, stalking him, trying to get him on this show. Thrilled to have him. Just absolutely wonderful career, and you can hear now why. You mentioned the pink pants that Elvis had, you know, who was he emulating? Who was he, I mean, Carl Perkins? I mean, I don't know, and pardon my ignorance, but no, I don't know anyone who was dressing like that at that point. Who was he emulating, or was he just kind of, you know, winging it, doing his own thing? No, no, he wasn't emulating anybody. He was wearing those kinds of clothes uh, when he was going to Hume's High School. Uh, I talked to George Klein, uh, DJ GK, who does a Friday afternoon uh, show on Elvis radio on Sirius Satellite. And he graduated with Elvis. And, and even back then, when, when Elvis was performing on stage at Hume's High School, he, he had the long sideburns, he had the long hair, most unusual in 1953 and 54. Uh, and as far as the clothes are concerned, that was his doing. He just he stood out in a crowd, let's put it that way, because he didn't want to wear what everybody else is wearing. And he ended up buying all of his clothes. When he, when he got to the point where he could afford it, he bought all of his clothes at Lansky Brothers on Beale Street, where they had all of these uh, great outfits and most unusual colors and where you could buy clothes that you couldn't buy anywhere else. And that's the only place he went when he could afford it to buy his clothes. But no, no, he was not emulating anybody. He was just being himself. What an amazing change in history and a turning point in history. And that guy, Elvis Presley, he did it. I mean, it was him. He was that meteor that just changed the whole entertainment world and, and the world of music and everything from that point on. And like I'll said, tell you, Frank, yeah. uh, we didn't have any idea that night in July of 1954 when we were listening to That's All Right, Mama for the first, second, third, and fourth time. We had no idea. There was no way of us knowing, any of us, 
who are listening and on the radio, uh, any of us standing in that uh, control room, Sam Phillips certainly didn't know he had uh, a man who was going to change music forever. But we were witnessing, we were witnessing the change in music. And it was a change that would show that music will never be the same again. And it truly was uh, the beginning of Presley mania. Just incredible. Wink Martindale, just an amazing character in his own right, but also a witness to history in so many ways. And he has watched the advent of commercialized radio and television, and he's just absolutely had an incredible career and still going strong. Let me say this. I feel so blessed. I'll tell you why. Uh, When I first got into radio in in the early 1950s, it was just the tail end of the big band era. So I lived through that era. And then I lived through Presley mania in the 50s. And in the 60s, I lived through Beatlemania. And then came disco in the 1970s. And I'm not on radio now, uh, but I'm getting ready to do a new podcast. But uh, I've lived through so many eras of popular music, and I'm still standing. <laughs> still, still going at it. Just unbelievable. You're in that half of 1% who's had a career this long and this strong, and you've been around a long time for a young guy. I got to say that Wink Martindale, again, is our very special guest. Thrilled and honored to have Wink Martindale here with me, Frank McKay, talking quite a bit about his career, but also the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. Wink, let me ask you about Sam Phillips. Did you get to know Sam at all? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Well, nobody ever really knew Sam all that well. Uh, he was, uh, he was a, a man into his own. He... He uh, was sort of a loner. He became quite successful. He was he was the founder of a re- little recording studio on Union Avenue there in Memphis, Tennessee, small place. I was back there just last week because my wife Sandy and I, who, by the way, Sandy dated Elvis for six years. We can talk about that a little later. Wow. But we were back there for the Elvis Festival in Nashville uh, two weeks ago, and uh, we left Nashville and came uh, south and came to Memphis and Graceland for a couple of days and visited uh, uh, Sun Studio uh, where they've recreated the original control room uh, at Sun where where Dewey Phillips uh, used to uh, used to work at WHBQ that, that that his control room his RCA console his turntables everything original is right there at Sun and I would strongly uh, suggest that any of your listeners who might be going to Memphis, uh, of course, you'll want to see Graceland. That's really something. Yeah, it is. But also, while you're there, if you have the time, go to Sun Records. Uh, but it, the man who started it all, Sam Phillips, I mean, can you, a bully, unbelievable. You know, I just, 
talking over myself here because I, sometimes it's hard for me to realize, although I've known this <laughs> all these years, that there was one time Sam Phillips had uh, Elvis Presley, uh, Carl Perkins from my hometown, Jackson, Tennessee, Mr. Blue Suede Shoes, uh, Johnny Cash, Roy Orbison. Uh, he, he had all these people under contract at the same time. Mm-hmm. And yet he had to end up selling Elvis Presley's contract to RCA for $35,000 because he needed the money. So that proves that he probably wasn't a very good manager of money, I guess. But uh, he was he was quite a guy. He, he You think about Sam Phillips, you think about the beginning of... Uh, of the revolution in, in, in popular music, just like when you think of Elvis Presley, you think of the same thing. Did you get to know Perkins at all? Oh, I knew Carl very well. Carl was from my hometown, and uh, I had not known him until Blue Suede Shoes came along. But then uh, I used to do a telephone in my hometown, uh, 12 years for cerebral palsy, and Carl, when he was in town, never failed to come on and do several numbers for me. So we, we became very good friends but not until after he became popular and successful. And now, pardon my ignorance on this, and again, I'm asking for a history lesson, but is this kind of like the resurgence of entertainment in the South? And I'm not being flipped when I say that. I mean, you know, if you think about it, everything was obviously Hollywood was Hollywood and New York was Broadway and everything else. But, you know, other than, you know, thinking about, you know, grassroots things like roots music and blues in the South and all the origins of rock, which really wasn't mainstream. It was absolutely not mainstream. But was Elvis and Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis and all of those folks coming out of there? I mean, even Buddy Holly coming out of Texas. Was that a resurgence for the South as far as entertainment goes? Well, it wasn't really a resurgence because there had never been a surgence in the South. Yeah. Uh, The South... Uh, from Memphis on down to through Texas, Buddy Holly country, all that. Uh, nobody ever really thought about uh, Memphis and the South as being a, uh, a, a a goldstone for popular music. Uh, it just happened that night in '53. It all started with Sam Phillips and Sun Records. That's when that's when uh, Memphis became uh, sort of the gold standard for rock and roll. And then, of course, later you had Stax Records and other uh, records coming, uh, labels coming out of Memphis, uh, American Recording Studios, where Suspicious Minds was recorded and where Neil Diamond recorded Sweet Caroline. Um, this all started in 54 and went forward from there. And then, of course, uh, there was Memphis first and then Muscle Shoals, Alabama second, you know, so many huge hits came out of Muscle, muscle hard to say, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Yeah. But no, there, there was no real resurgence because Memphis and the South was never really known for popular music. Uh, the only spot in the South that was known for pop music, and that being mainly country, was Nashville uh, back in the uh, 1940s with Eddie Arnold and all the early uh, country artists like Ernest Tubbs and those people. But uh, not Memphis. Yeah. Uh, Let me remind folks once again that are just joining us a little late, Frank McKay here, with the great Wink Martindale, 
and you know his work from so many game shows. I imagine so many people my age, I'm 51, would have seen you on Joker's Wild. I'm not Joker's Wild, you know, but the different, you know, there's a whole host of these shows that not only... Tic-Tac-Toe. Tic-Tac-Toe Tic-Tac-Toe. is the one that most yeah. people remind me of. Yeah, and not only not only you in front of the camera, but you behind the scenes putting it all together. Was it an easy transition to be the voice yeah, the radio voice or the television face and to actually do the business for that. And was it all business? Did you have a partner that handled that? You know, tell us a little bit about the background of so many of these shows that was such a huge success. Well, first of all, I never had envisioned hosting a game show. I, I wasn't really into game shows that much until I became addicted to one called Password with Alan Ludden. Uh, I used to get off the air on KFWB where I was morning man in Los Angeles, and I'd rush home to watch Password at noon. And I did some research, and I found that Alan Ludden would go in two days a week, knock out ten shows, and the other five days he played golf. And I said, man, that's not a bad way to make a buck. So I went to my agent, the late uh, Noel Rubloff, and I said, Noel, I want you to send me on some game show hosting auditions, which he did. And uh, I didn't get the first one, but the second one I did. It, was, uh, it only lasted a year. It was a local show on Channel 5 in L.A. Uh, called What's the Name of That Song? And eventually it uh, uh, went to NBC, and they shortened the title to What's This Song? And I only did that for a year, but it got me started in the business. In fact, uh, for that first show, they thought that Wink was too juvenile-sounding a name, so they shortened my name to Win. So for one year and one show, I was Win. Martindale, which I guess was uh, pretty good considering I was host of a game show <laughs> giving away money and prizes. Yeah. But uh, that's the way I got into the business. And then when I got into the business, did several shows. I uh, I decided that, uh, hey, you know, maybe I can uh, create some shows on my own. So I started trying to create shows, develop shows, and uh, several were very unsuccessful. But then I... Uh, came up with the idea of using headlines, kind of like on Wheel of Fortune, except using headlines of the past and present. And I developed that show, and uh, a friend of mine, Michael King, who, uh, along with his brother Roger King, owned the biggest syndication company in the business at the time, King World, they liked what I had, and they took it to Merv Griffin, where uh, they also syndicated uh, Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. And um, they set up my meeting with Merv. He liked the show. And uh, he bought it, and uh, that's the way I got into uh, producing shows. And uh, right now, uh, I just optioned the rights to a show that was popular on NBC several years ago, and we're redoing a 21st century version of it. It's called Money Maze, M-A-Z-E, Money Maze. And uh, uh, I expect this to be on the air at the end of this month, as a matter of fact, the end of April, we're pitching it. We have pitches set up to uh, show it to Fox, ABC, NBC, and CBS. So I have great, uh, great hopes that Money Maze will be uh, the next uh, successful adventure in my long career. Yeah, well, it's, I would never bet against you. That's for, <laughs> for sure. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, Frank. Yeah, again, Frank McKay here. We got, you know, a couple moments left with Wink Martindale. Thrilled to have him and just getting a history lesson on the entertainment business and the music business and and radio and everything else that comes along. And I'm not kidding, it's a real pleasure to have you 
on, you can't really get this information. I mean, you could Google it and you could read it and you can do all of that. But this is different. I mean, you're they're not making any more of you. And let me just put it that way. They're not. And I don't know if I'm getting older or more pretentious, but I'm starting to believe that it's important to document a lot of a lot of this information that just might not be here 100 years from now. And why not? Let me ask you, if you don't mind, let me ask you a little bit more You know about the business. What was your big, and again, I'm not trying to get too personal, but what was the big moment for you financially? You mentioned the headline show buying a house for you, and it, or even though it, it failed in ratings and everything else, but it still bought a house for you. What was your big hit? What was your big pivot point as far as a career goes uh, financially. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. In many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's breaking it down with Frank McKay. Long Island is definitely the place for you. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Well, I would have to say that selling headline chasers was the most exciting thing that, uh, that happened to me in my career, uh, second only to that first million-selling, only million-selling record deck of cards. That was quite a thrill. Uh, it was also quite a thrill. I'm going to give you a list of them now. Yeah. The biggest, of course, Headline Chasers, which made me over a million bucks in one year, which for a, for a country boy from Jackson, Tennessee, was pretty nice. <laughs> uh, but when I got my first... Uh, uh, network game show, what's the song? That was special at NBC. When Tic Tac Doe, when I was cast for uh, to be host for that, lasted 10 years. Uh, and as you know, you know, each year that you're on the air, your money increases. So that was about uh, 10 years, the longest running show I ever did. Uh, those were some of the some of the most important uh, financial uh, uh parts of my career that I might point out. And also, it doesn't have anything to do with finances, but I got to tell you that when I was in Nashville two weeks ago, uh, I was able to check something off my bucket list that I've always wanted to do. When I was a kid, Frank, growing up in Jackson, Tennessee, on Saturday night, I would listen to the Grand Ole Opry. And then I would listen to, right after that, Your Hit Parade with a guy named Frank Sinatra. Oh, wow. And then I'd have to go to bed because at 3 o'clock in the morning, I had to get up and deliver my paper route. I was a paper carrier for the Jackson Sun in Jackson. But all those years, I grew up listening to the Grand Ole Opry. Now, Fade to Black had come up on two weeks ago, and I was invited to be guest announcer on the Grand Ole Opry on WSM, which is, as you know, an iconic yeah. Uh, radio station wow. yep. in Nashville. And I, I got to tell you that that was one of the thrills of my life. Uh, and it just goes to show you, or shows to go you, right. that after all these years, I've been in the business over 60 years, and after all this time, there was still something in radio and television that I'd never done that I always wanted to do, and that was stand on the stage 
of the Grand Ole Opry, and I did it, and it was just very, very special. Yeah, all of this is just absolutely amazing, and the fact that it's gone on this long, I mean, people would be fortunate to have a 20-year career in radio or TV or whatever. You're talking about 60 years, 60 years. I have people ask me, just the other day, somebody said, you ever think about retiring? And I stole an Art Linkletter line. Somebody asked him that one time. You know what he said? He said, retire from what? Hell, I'm not tired. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the way I feel. I feel very blessed. I'm married to uh, a wonderful lady uh, for 43 years. Uh, She takes good care of me. She gives me all these vitamins. And I said, well, goodness gracious, uh, double hand of vitamins. You could be killing me, and I wouldn't even know it. (laughs) She said, yeah, it'd be a slow death after 43 years. Yeah. But she takes good care of me, and we have a we have a, a great marriage. We love each other more than ever uh, today, and and all of this goes into you know keeping you, I think, healthy and and uh, still in the mood to. I, I love I love to be able to climb that mountain. I never get that never gets old. So I keep climbing those mountains. And Money Maze is my uh, next mountain to climb, and I'm almost to the top. Like I said, I'll never bet against Wink Martindale. That's our very special guest today, Frank McKay, here with Wink Martindale and from TV and radio fame and uh, Tic-Tac-Toe. That's right. And so many people saw you work that and did it so well. well. Let me ask you this. We've mentioned Elvis Presley. You mentioned Carl Perkins, uh, Merv Griffin, and all of these other folks that you've met along the way. Do you see any common trait and, you know, put yourself right in that same group there? Do you recognize a common trait that all of them have, all of you have, that's, you know, either essential or just a necessary part of success in the entertainment? Yeah, the one, the one, the one word would be creativity, uh, a desire to be creative. That, that's it. Uh, you know, if you have that, then that will carry you a long, long way. If you don't care to be creative, and, and, and live through that developmental process that you have to go through in order to be in radio or, or create for television or perform on television. Uh, that, that, that's about it. I, I, uh, I think that all of us that you mentioned, everybody that you just mentioned, uh, have to be and had to be, because a lot of them are gone now, but had to be uh, people, people, people. Uh, I'm a people person. I love to, the one reason I, I I love doing game shows is that interaction that you have between you and the contestant and you and the people at home. People look at me hosting a game show, and uh, if you if you get those people at home who are sitting in their den watching, if you get them to say, boy, I could do that uh, as a contestant or as a host, then you got them hooked. Uh, that that few seconds when a person walks out and you've got 30 seconds to interact with that person, find out a little bit about them as we're doing right now. You're finding out about me. You know, you got about 30 seconds to do that before you move on to play the game. I got to tell you a quick story. Please. Uh, when I was doing Tic-Tac-Doe in the fall during uh, sweeps week, ratings week in September, we always did an over 80s tournament. Uh, and all of the contestants had to be over the age of 80. Now, today, with the accent on demographics, I guess we couldn't get by with that. But every fall, we did this over-80s tournament. And on one of the shows, there was a Dr. Reba Kelly. And she, was, uh, she was 92 or 93. And uh, 
during the interview segment, I said uh, she was doing well. I said, Dr. Kelly, at your advanced age and being a widower, do you ever think about dating? And she looked at me without batting an eye, and this 92-year-old lady said, yes, Wink, I have four boyfriends. I said, really? You have four boyfriends? She said, yes. I get up in the morning with Will Power. I take a walk with Arthur Itis. I come home with Charlie Horse, and I go to bed at night with Ben Gay. <laughs> That's terrific. Pretty sharp for an old lady, huh? Yeah, no, that is terrific. By the way, Wink Martindale, once again, a couple moments with Wink Martindale and Frank McKay here, soon to be the producer and creator of the hit, I'm sure, Money Maze, right? Money Maze coming up. That's the next big thing out of him. Let me ask you, you brought up your wife and that she knew Elvis as well. Yes. Oh, you wanted to tell us a quick story? Well, she, her father had nightclubs in Los Angeles. And uh, he, he had several of them. And when Elvis was coming out here to do movies, uh, they became very good friends. And Elvis and his uh, uh, Memphis Mafia and his group would all come to uh, a couple of these particular nightclubs. Uh, one called the Crossbow, one called uh, uh, the Red Velvet on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. And uh, one night uh, when Elvis was there, he happened to see Sandy's picture uh, on her dad's desk in his office. And uh, he said, who's that? She said, that's my daughter, Sandy. And so he wanted to date her. She was only 14 years old. Wow. And uh, so uh, he called, and, of course, uh, her mother said, I don't care if you're King Farouk. You're not going to date my daughter. She's 14 years old. <laughs> He said, well, you know, you can come along on the date yourself if you'd like. So on the first few dates, sure enough, when she finally consented to go out with uh, with Elvis, and she thought he had a strange name, yeah. <laughs> uh, her, the mother came along. And uh, so they dated off and on for six years until uh, he and Priscilla got married. But uh, it was it was quite a romance, but I'm glad to say I... Uh, I ended up winning. Thank yeah, goodness. no doubt about it. I mean, 43 he, years. He's the best thing that ever happened to me, I'll tell you that. That's terrific. we got about a minute or two left with Wink Martindale, Frank McKay here. Thrilled to have a television and radio star Wink Martindale with us. Let me ask you this. With all of the years that you've done on TV and radio, how much of your work is unrecoverable? In other words, like there's no record of it at all. And, you know, I'm thinking about you know, even Tic-Tac-Doe, I mean, are all of them accounted for, all those shows accounted for? Oh, yeah, you can go to, uh, you can go to the Internet and, and uh, you can see most of, uh, at least, if not full episodes, you can go to the Internet and see uh, full episodes or part episodes of practically every show I've done. Uh, what wasn't recorded, and what I'm so sad to say, is that uh, my shows uh, in Memphis and my early shows out here locally were never recorded. I have no uh, videotape whatsoever of my top ten dance party in uh, in Memphis. I have a couple of interviews, like with Neil Sedaka, when he came to town and, and uh, was promoting his first record called The Diary. I have that, and I have a recorded interview with Pat Boone when he was hot in the 50s. But for the most part, uh, those those dance party shows I didn't get. And my first television show, 
uh, before Dance Party ever happened in 1953. The first TV uh, show that I ever did was a kid show called Wink Martindale of the Mars Patrol. I was like a space ranger, and I had my six little Mars guards, and we drank our Bosco and milk every day and then blasted off into space and segued into the old Rocky Jones Space Rangers uh, B-movies that used to play uh, on Saturday afternoons between features. Uh, I have no video of the Mars Patrol show and no video of the Pacific Ocean Park dance party that I did out here in Santa Monica in 1960, 61, 62. But for the most part, most of the most of the shows that I've done over the years uh, can be found. All I can do is congratulate you, and I'd wish you luck for a money maze, but that's going to be a hit. I can tell already I just got a vibe from you, and I would never bet against this man. Wink Martindale has been our very special guest. Wink, thanks a million. Thank you, Frank. And regarding money maze, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I wouldn't bet against him. Wink Martindale has been our very special guest. Frank McKay here with the star of television and radio and television producer. And you know his work from so many game shows and so much else. And his relationship, lifelong relationship with Elvis Presley. Just an amazing career. Still going strong. Frank McKay signing off. Wink Martindale has been our very special guest. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 107.1 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.